going through all of it today, but we will return to it to find some application and encouragement for our hearts um, near the end of the sermon. So just as a fair warning, <laughs> hang on. It's going to be a, a bumpy ride. Um, but we're going to read John chapter 14, verses 15 through six, uh, 26 today, and then we're going to pray uh, for God's help in the preaching of his word. So John chapter 14, verse 15. This is God's inspired word. If you love me, this is Jesus speaking, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Let's pray. Lord, we are desperately dependent upon your work this morning as we look at your word, as we seek to understand more about you, as we seek to apply what we hear and learn that we, Lord, I pray that we would not just be people of doctrine, but people of a culture shaped by the doctrine that we hear today about you. So work in our hearts. Do that miracle, Lord. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Parents are probably some of the most underappreciated people in the world. Um, I live with my parents for the first 25 years of my life, for which I am quite grateful. Um, and it wasn't until I moved out that I uh, began to realize just how nice it was to live with them. Um, and it was nice. <laughs> I realized it was, it was really nice not having to pay bills and utilities. Um, I realized it was, I was pretty spoiled to get home-cooked meals every night. And I realized I was incredibly fortunate to have wise counselors living under the same roof as me, always ready and willing to help me out. And I think we can have a similar attitude toward the Spirit. We're so used to him being around that we don't really appreciate him. 
or realize what a blessing it is to have him live with us. So my hope this morning is that as we look at the Spirit, we will come to appreciate and cherish the very God who makes his home with us. And that's our aim. And my aim is to do this by asking two questions about the Spirit. Who is he and what does he do? So let's start with the first question. Who is the Spirit? Well, first, the Spirit is God. This is implied in verses uh, 16 and 17 of our passage. There, Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. So the helper that Jesus asks the Father to send to us is the Spirit of truth. And that Spirit isn't the only helper that the Father has sent. Jesus says the Spirit is another helper. So that begs the question, well, who's the first helper? And you guessed it, if you've been in children's ministry, it's Jesus. That's the right answer, right? No, it is Jesus. A few verses later, we read um, that the Father, in fact, sent Jesus. Verse 24, whoever does not love me, this is Jesus speaking, does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So God sent, God the Father sent Jesus as the first helper. And what do we know about this first helper? Well, we know from John 1 that Jesus is, in fact, God, pardon me, God himself. John 1, 1 says this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then down in verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So this word that was God also became flesh. He's the only Son from the Father. That's a description of Jesus. The God-man, come in the flesh, sent by the Father to us as a helper. That's the first helper. He's sent by the Father. The Divine Father sends the Divine Son to help us. That's amazing, first of all, just as a sidebar. But the spirit of truth is not the only helper God sends us. The spirit of truth is the second helper sent by the Father. So Jesus, the divine son, when he says another helper, he's putting the spirit on the same level as himself. God sent me, I'm the first helper. He sent the spirit, he's the second helper. That same level language is, is probably most clear when Jesus speaks in Matthew 20 and 19. He says this, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit's mentioned right along with the Divine Father and the Divine Son. And if that's not a claim to deity, I don't know what is. So we see that the Spirit is God. He's as much God as the Father and the Son are. And I think that can be easy to forget. And I think we need that reminder. We'll see why in a minute. But we say it this way in our statement of faith. We say the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity who proceeds eternally from the Father and the Son. He is equal in deity, attributes, and nature with the Father and the Son, and with them is to be worshipped and glorified. Now, one of, the, one of the aspects of the Spirit that makes him worthy of our worship is his holiness. After all, he is the Holy Spirit the reason he has that title. 
What does holy mean? Holy means sinless, perfect, pure, righteous, other, separate. And, and to Westerners in the 21st century, I don't think we get the whole weight of that. Holy might not seem like much to us. It might just seem a word to be like a word that we pair with exclamations like holy cow or holy moly or holy smokes, right? <laughs> we just throw that word out there without giving, you know, holy smoke, holy spirit, sure, whatever, right? That's, that's kind of our culture. But to Jesus' listeners, holy meant something far weightier. It reminded the Jews of a God whose holiness couldn't tolerate the presence of sin. And to sinners, that holiness is both dangerous and frightening. Exodus 19 gives us a preview into that unapproachable and dangerous holiness of God as he meets with his people on Mount Sinai. I'm going to read, starting in verse 16. As I read this, it's a longer text, but as I read this, just imagine being present for these events, standing at the base of this mountain. So listen to this description. God's word says this. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders. I just realize this is on the this is in the morning. This isn't an afternoon shower. This is in the morning. This is usually when the sky is clear. There were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God. And they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a great kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people, lest they break through to the Lord and many of them perish. Also let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves, lest the Lord break out against them. God visits man and he sets a mountain on fire. His holiness is so pure that anyone who approached God's presence would die. In fact, the very first thing that God says to Moses after he calls him up to the top of the mountain, he says, go back down. It's the first instruction. Go back down and warn the people not to approach the mountain lest they die. This is my presence. I am fierce. I am powerful. I am holy. If you unclean sinners come toward me, you will die. I will break out against you. Warn the people. The Spirit is this God. He is righteous. He is powerful. And he is 
terrified. He is holy. So think not of the Spirit as some quaint or familiar being. Rather adore him and fear him as the righteous and holy God. Forget not that he is the Holy Spirit. But apart from being holy, he is also the Spirit. So let's take a look at this term. The word spirit just means breath or wind. So what are breath and wind? Well, breath and wind are both life-giving. Breath fills up our lungs with oxygen that replenishes our blood and our organs with the oxygen it needs to to keep our bodies functioning. If we don't have breath, we don't live. Sails, I'm sorry, sails, wind rather, (laughs) wind fills the sails of boats that and gives them life. It gives them ability to move. It, it animates inanimate objects. So it is with the Spirit. He gives life to things. Now, we're going to circle back um, to this life-giving aspect of the Spirit in a few minutes. But here's something I want us to consider right now. While breath and wind are life-giving, they're also mysterious. They're, they're, they're both invisible and hard to trace. Author A.A. A. Milne known for his series, Winnie the Pooh, wrote this about uh, the wind in his poem, Wind on the Hill. You may know this. No one can tell me, nobody knows, where the wind comes from, where the wind goes. Milne's right. The wind's coming and going will, will never quite be known to us. It's mysterious, same thing with the Spirit. Jesus himself actually makes this very point in John 3, verse 8. He says, The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So the Spirit is this mysterious and often hard-to-trace person. And that's partly why, in, in verse 17 of our passage, Jesus says this to the Spirit. He says, The world cannot receive, it's of whom the world cannot receive, so cannot receive the Spirit, because it neither sees him nor knows him. So the Spirit is this divine, invisible, mysterious, and unapproachably righteous being. That could seem ethereal and even daunting, and in certain ways it should be. We should be intimidated and somewhat mystified by the Spirit of God. But while the Spirit is all of this, he's more than this. He's not just a mysterious, dangerous, frightening being. He is also a helper. Helper, that term is Jesus' preferred term for the Spirit in this passage. He refers to the Spirit twice as a helper, and in both instances, he, he puts that title before the other titles that he gives the Spirit. So verse 16, another helper couple you know, phrases down later, even the spirit of truth. So another helper, even the spirit of truth. Verse 26, the helper, the Holy Spirit. So helper seems important in what Jesus is communicating about the spirit to the disciples. So what does it communicate about the spirit? Well, a helper is someone who, who comes alongside you as a comforter, as, as a counselor, as, as an advocate. My wife, Becca, who is helping right now (laughs) with our 
three-month-old, she is a great example of a helper. Just this past week, I had a particularly rough morning, um, was just severely overwhelmed. Um, I was tired from Josiah waking me up early that morning. I was frustrated with a a, a seemingly simple task that just exploded into a two-hour fruitless endeavor, and I was stressed out about getting behind on work and other responsibilities. But Becca was just incredibly patient with me as she showed compassion on me, um, as, she, as she comforted me, as she gave me good counsel. That's what a helper does. And that's who the Spirit is. And we're going to look more later at the specifics of how that Spirit helps us. There's a lot more later, so just hold on. <laughs> we'll get to the good stuff. But for now, let's let, there's, there's two quick takeaways for us from this truth of God, the Spirit, being a helper. First, be astounded that the holy and mysterious Spirit of God wants to help you. The God who burned on Mount Sinai uses his power to comfort and counsel you. That's remarkable. That's, that's humbling. It's, it's nothing shy of miraculous. And so as we consider these truths, may we just grow in awe and genuine appreciation that this God wants to help us. And second, this is a bit of a sidebar, but I think it's worth mentioning here. I think we need a reminder to esteem highly the role of helper. We learn from Genesis 2 that women created in the image of God are to be helpers. Be that, that could be in wifedom, it could be in um, mothering, it could be in a myriad of other roles. But this role of helper, contrary to what our society believes, is not substandard or second rate. <laughs> Rather, the role of helper is godlike. The third person of the Trinity is called a helper. What a noble office. So, ladies, if, if you're tempted to believe that your God-given role is somehow despicable or unimportant, I would say, don't. <laughs> don't think that. Stop thinking that. God himself is a helper, and you reflect him in the way you help others. So take encouragement in that. Esteem highly. Men, <laughs> esteem highly the role of helpers. The implication, this is totally a tangent, in Genesis 2, that God made man a helper is that the man needs help. <laughs> if anything, that's, that says something more of man's need than, than women's role. But God helps us, and so to be a helper is a noble office. Esteem that highly. Again, so much to mine here. But now that we've established who the Spirit is, He is God, He is the holy God, the mysterious God who wants to help us. Let's take, a, let's take a look at what the Spirit does. That leads us to question two. What does the Spirit do? In short, a lot of things. And we can't hit them all this morning. We're going to spend a couple more weeks uh, touching on certain activities of the Spirit. But this morning, we're going to look at two categories. First, the Spirit's activity before Christ came. And then we're going to look at as activity since then. So first, 
What did the Spirit do before Christ came? Well, we mentioned earlier that the Spirit is life-giving. Okay, but what does the Spirit actually give life to? Well, in Genesis 1, we read that the Spirit was present in creation. uh, Verses 1 and 2 of Genesis 1 say this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So here's the Spirit, the breath of God, present at creation even before the world takes shape. And in the next chapter, we read how God creates mankind. Genesis 2.7 says this. It says, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground, sorry, formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Did you catch that? God breathed the breath of life into man. Before that point, he wasn't alive. After that point, he was. That is the spirit, the breath of God in action, giving life to mankind. But the spirit's life-giving power, it doesn't stop there. We learn from Job that God's Spirit gives life to all flesh. In Job uh, 34, verses 15, I'm sorry, 14 and 15, Elihu rightly says this about God. He says, If he should set his heart to it and gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together and man would return to dust. Any flesh that's alive is because of the Spirit of God. Your pet hamster is alive because God's Spirit gave it life. He is the creator, and he sustains us by giving us breath. The only reason we aren't just piles of dust is because God's Spirit breathes life into us. Christian rapper Jason Petty, better known by his stage name Propaganda, said it well in his song, Lofty, when he wrote this line. It says, The very breath that comes from lungs is caused by the fact that God is involved. Amen. (laughs) God is involved in your very breath. Let that motivate you to gratitude. If you're breathing, you have something to be grateful for. God is involved in giving you life. I also just highly recommend that song by Propaganda. Lofty is worth your listen. But life isn't the only thing that God the Spirit breathed out. He also breathed out Scripture. We learn this from 2 Timothy 3.16, which says, All Scripture is breathed out by God. And if that's not clear enough, Peter writes this in, in 2 Peter 1, verses 20 and 21. He says, No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So the very words of Scripture that we have written down here in this book, translated from its original, those very words were written by men as they were carried along by the Spirit of God. That is, the Spirit, he guided them into writing his authoritative word. So, let's not take this word for granted. 
Let's remember that it's breathed out by the very Spirit of God. So we see the Spirit's activity before Christ, giving life and authoring Scripture. But was he personally involved in the life of God's people back then? Well, he was. But his personal empowering presence was the exception, not the rule. Um, we see this clearly in Numbers chapter 11. Um, we learn about two men, Eldad and Medad. I don't know if they were twins or, or what, but Eldad and Medad, on whom we learn the Spirit rested, and they're prophesying in Israel. But this event was so irregular that it really caught people off guard. We read this in Numbers 11, uh, verses 27 through 29. And a young man ran and told Moses, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the assistant of Moses from his youth, said, My Lord Moses, stop them. Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit on them. Moses wished that, that the spirit would be on all of God's people. The implication is, he wasn't on all of God's people, at least not then. But there's good news. A new era <laughs> has ushered in since Moses' time, an era ushered in by Christ. And this is where it gets really good. So if you've been like, okay, yeah, this seems kind of interesting, but I don't know how it applies to me. We live in a new era, and we're going to learn about what that era means for us. Jesus and his life, death, resurrection, and ascension kicked off a new age of the Spirit's activity. And this new age, it is better than the old one. Sorry, Old Testament peeps, we have a better covenant. <laughs> We've got it good. In fact, it's even better, we might say, okay, I'm better than them, but it's even better than the time when Jesus himself walked on this earth with his disciples, which can be hard to believe. But Jesus said this very thing to his disciples in John 16, verse 7. He said, <laughs> this is crazy to hear, Jesus says, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. In other words, as wonderful as it is having me, Jesus, walk in your midst, it's better to have the Spirit. Really, Jesus? I mean, I'm, I'm personally tempted to think that it'd be pretty nice to walk around with Jesus, spend time with him, ask him questions when I had him, eat meals with him, watch him serve in front of my very eyes, and with as good as Jesus is, I mean, how could, how could it possibly be advantageous for him to leave? How could anything substitute for his presence? Well, if we listen to what Jesus promises about the helper that he says he'll send, I think we'll agree that it's better to have the helper sent to us. So, let's listen to what Jesus says about the Spirit in John chapter 14. We're returning to our text. Just going to highlight a few key truths as we read it, starting in verse 16. Here's what Jesus has to say about the helper he's sending. He says, I will ask the Father, verse 16, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. So he's a permanent helper. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, 
for he dwells with you and will be in you. So there's a nearness to his presence. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. How? By his Spirit. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And that's because we are given the same spirit of life that Jesus had. Jumping down, verse 23. If anyone loves me, that's an invitation to all, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. That's God himself dwelling in us personally. Then in verse 26, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So the Helper continues to help us know Jesus and know the Father. It is better to have the Helper sent to us than it is to have Jesus walking here among us. Jesus dwelt with us. The Spirit dwells in us. Jesus was with his disciples temporarily, but the Spirit is with us permanently. The Spirit who occasionally filled the Old Testament uh, uh, believers now dwells with all who love God. The very author of Scripture now personally teaches us all things. The Spirit who breathed life into the cosmos now breathes spiritual life into our very souls. The God who consumed a mountain in fire now makes his home with us. How is that possible? How can the holy God, who can tolerate no sin in his presence, dwell in us sinners? God's standard for fellowship is perfection. So we must either be perfect... And if you think you are, some work to do. <laughs> so we either must be perfect, or we need the atoning sacrifice of someone else who was perfect. And this is the good news of the gospel. We have that in Jesus Christ. Because he paid for our sins that God could not tolerate, he paid for them on the, on the cross for all who believe in him. And because he's transferred his record of perfect righteousness to us, God can make his home with us. And for my friends listening who don't know and love Christ by depending upon him alone for your standing, your right standing before God, you cannot receive the spirit or the eternal life he brings. Rather, when you die, you will face a holy God who cannot tolerate sin. And you will know nothing but the full force of his hot wrath and his holiness. But that doesn't have to be your story. If you repent of your sins and, and trust in Christ to forgive you of your sins against God, then the Holy Spirit will dwell in you. And you'll be given the eternal life that he promises and know the God who wants to help you. I hope you will trust him. It's the best choice you could ever make. For those of us who already trust in Christ, the very Spirit of God dwells in us. 
And it's this truth that brings us to one of the sweetest aspects of the Spirit's work on, the behalf, on behalf of believers. And that's this. The Spirit makes the Father's love known to us. It helps to understand some background on our text in John 14. Just before this, this is, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples on the very night that he would be betrayed and murdered. And he stated already to his disciples that one of them would betray him and that Peter would deny him three times and that the rest would scatter. He told them that he was leaving them. That's bad news, but that where he was going, they could not follow. The disciples probably felt hopeless and abandoned. I mean, Jesus, Jesus is going to leave his disciples This is the dude who called them out of their their careers to follow him. He is their teacher. He is their Lord. He is their shepherd. This is the one who called them brothers, and now he's going to leave? But to his troubled disciples, Jesus promised this, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Orphans have no father. And Jesus frequently spoke of God as his Father. In fact, in this very passage, he does so five times. And the way that, God, that, that Jesus makes good on his promise to his disciples, uh, the promise that, that he won't leave them as orphans, it's by Jesus sending his own Spirit who helps them know God as their Father. Galatians 4.6 says that God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. The Spirit of God is the Spirit of Jesus. And the Spirit of the Son makes us to know God the Father. Through the Spirit, we are wrapped up in the loving relationship between God the Father and God the Son. I loved the line we sang this morning. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit now with man are intertwined. That's because the Spirit lives within us, making us know as sons of God the love of God the Father for us. I lost my place. I got excited. John 14, verse 20. Jesus says this about the day when the Spirit comes. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Verse 23 says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. God the Father loves us and makes his home with us. We are adopted by God into his home. But this adoption isn't fully complete. Romans 8.23 says, We ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons. This eager waiting for adoption reminds me of Spencer and Alyssa Hooker. They've been foster parents to Brooklyn and Austin, and now they plan to officially adopt them into their family. They've been given the green light to adopt, which is exciting, but it isn't official yet. They still have to 
go through legal processes and jump through hoops and do some formalities that they have to walk through, and it's not fun. It's a long, wearying process. But their intentions are clear. They will have Brooklyn and Austin as their very own legal children. They may groan inwardly during this process of waiting, but their love for their kiddos is the guarantee that they will carry that process out. So it is with all of us, if you put your hope in Christ. We eagerly await our full adoption as sons of God. We await with anticipation the full expression and enjoyment of our adoption, being with our Heavenly Father and, and reunited in Christ's presence. When we're with Him again face to face, that day will be better than this day. But it's not fully here. But it is coming. And our guarantee in the meantime is that the Spirit of Jesus is in us. So do you feel like the disciples did? Do you feel left alone or abandoned? Do you groan inwardly as you wait for the day when God makes all things right and welcomes you fully into his home? Then take hope in the Helper. Find great comfort in the Spirit of Jesus dwelling in you, making you know that the Father loves you. When you feel all alone, remember that God has personally made his home with you by his Spirit and will one day bring you home to himself. The God of the universe has personally made his home with you. So take comfort in that today. Cherish the Spirit of God who dwells in you and wait eagerly for the day when you are perfectly reunited with the God who loves you. Let's pray. Spirit, we thank you for your work in us, comforting us, indwelling us, making us know that we are beloved sons of God. I pray that we would only grow in our love for you, only grow in our appreciation and gratitude and um, joy in knowing that God, righteous God, helpful God, dwells in us. So Lord, comfort us, encourage us, embolden us as we go forward seeking to obey you, seeking to be witnesses of you. We pray this all in the name of Jesus, whose spirit dwells in us. Amen.